It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. You had a really interesting report last night in the Global News Hour on the number of healthcare workers in British Columbia who have actually mm-hmm. contracted COVID, yeah. actually got COVID. That's the first time I've heard these numbers. What did you find out? Yeah, I was looking for those stats for some time. Finally got them yesterday. The Center for Disease Control has released them. So in the uh, broad public sector healthcare system, there's about 207,000 uh, employees. Uh, more than 5% of them have tested positive for COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic. That works out to about almost 11,000 people. And then of that, there's about 50 different op- occupations in healthcare, everything from doctors to nurses to janitorial to kitchen. You know, there's a wide gamut of jobs. But 35% of the cases are in two occupations, long-term care aides and nurses. That um, Long-term care aides had about 2,200. Wow. Uh, nurses, almost 2,000. Uh, of the total. So those two really stand apart from any other occupation. Then there's a big drop down to about 880 in administration. Then another big drop down to about three to 400 people as um, LPNs, licensed licensed practical nurses, uh, doctors, uh, physicians, and dentists. And then a big drop off and also housekeeping. And then another big drop off to other occupations. So really two occupations in particular in healthcare really on the front lines, tested positive far more than any other occupation, and that's long-term care aides and nurses. Okay, that's a really interesting snapshot of uh, how COVID was affecting long uh, healthcare workers for sure, and it's interesting to see long-term care workers at the top of that list because, of course, that's where we saw some of the worst and most yeah. deadly outbreaks. And, and many of these cases, of course, were contracted before there were vac- vaccines. Yeah, right. If you recall, right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, Lynn Valley Lodge, for yeah. example, more oh. than 30 people died there, so a number of staff people got sick there through no fault of their own. Uh, again, so long-term care aides and nurses stand apart from any other profession in healthcare. And you know, and I, I think it also is is interesting evidence to to back the the uh, the decision by the BC government to go with mandatory vaccination. I mean, this is something that the BC Nurses Union had opposed. They said, "Don't do it. You'll collapse the healthcare system if you've got to basically lay off all these unvaccinated healthcare workers." There have been problems. Mm-hmm. Right in the healthcare system, there's over what over three thousand healthcare workers on unpaid leave. Yeah, just a little, little over three thousand. It's dropping a little bit. It was yeah. three thousand and ninety last week. I think we're now down to three thousand and sixty-five. We're going to get an update today at one thirty from Dr. Bonnie Henry, Health Minister Adrian Dix, where we're going to get not only an update on the number of people who have not been vaccinated in healthcare and therefore are on un- unpaid leave, but also again a breakdown by occupation. So we will know, hopefully, how many nurses, how many doctors. How many x-ray technicians, how many housekeepers uh, in the healthcare system are unvaccinated? Now, about a third of these people, at least a third, are casual workers. These are not FTEs, but they are people who are required to work in the healthcare system. But And their absence does mean and will mean uh, continued rescheduling of surgeries. Okay, is there any evidence, I think there is, that uh, the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers is encouraging people to get vaccinated if they want to keep their jobs? Well, we've gone from 5,500 unvaccinated healthcare workers uh, two and a half weeks ago to just more than 3,000. Right. So, so 2,500 people in healthcare have got vaccinated once the mandate, uh, uh, just from a few weeks ago, from August when, they, when the mandate was announced, I think there's probably a decline of even more than that. So a lot of people are getting vaccinated, but there's going to be some holdouts. 
and they're going to be put on uh, unpaid leave. Okay, we'll uh, have live coverage later on CKNW, the update coming up this afternoon. What time is that update from Adrian Dix? One thirty from um, Minister Dix and Dr. Bonnie Henry. Okay, let's talk about the B.C. Liberal Party leadership race right now, and Ooh. I thought it was interesting to see Liberal MLA Renee Merrifield here running for the Liberal Party leadership, um, really going after the NDP, criticizing the NDP for their lack of diversity in the NDP. Now, this is really triggered a response from the new democrats getting a, a lot of uh, well, a lot of a, a went, grief over it she went beyond that she said it's tokenism token yeah. diversity uh saying that even acknowledging the ndp is more diverse than the bc liberals but she says it's tokenism that has sparked absolute condemnation from ndp mlas and also from former BC Liberal MLA and now CKNW talk show host Jazz Johal on Twitter. Yes, Jazz Johal, very critical of uh, Liberal MLA Renee Merrifield for these remarks, and I'm sure that'll be a focus of his show coming up later this afternoon. Let's have a listen to what she had to say here. So here's the Liberal MLA Renee Merrifield running for the BC Liberal Party leadership, going after the NDP here. Have a listen. They still have five, no offense to anyone in the room, middle-aged white dudes controlling their entire party. They have a photograph of diversity. They have token diversity, but they don't have it real. Okay, so she's talking about five middle-aged white dudes uh, who control the party. Uh, now, I'm assuming she's talking about Horgan, Mike Farnworth, the deputy premier, probably David Eby, the attorney general, health minister Adrian Dix, also the party president, Craig Keating, who's been around like forever well, as a, as a white, is it, are these the five white guys she's no, talking about? I have no idea what she's referring to because <laughs> there's a lot more people with uh, positions of power in that party and in the government that go well beyond those people. So, but again, it's interesting. I'll go back to after the 2017 election. I remember talking to Mike Farnworth, who showed me the seating plan for the for the legislative assembly, and the NDP had their seating plan that no matter who was on their feet on Hansard Television. In the shot would be a person of color or a woman or a young person. That stood in stark contrast to the BC Liberals, which was basically, by and large, all older white people. So that was where the, the, the diversity issue really was framed for the first time. The Liberals acknowledge, I've talked to Kevin Falcon about this, he acknowledges they have a real problem when it comes to diversity. They've got to become more diverse. So it's, so now you see this incendiary response on social media of the women and pe and people of color within the NDP going after Renee Merrifield for s suggesting well, this is simply token. Well, this is why she's taken some heat on it for sure. And people are saying, well, you know, listen, before you start throwing stones, you yeah. better realize you're living in a glass house here yeah. when it comes to the diversity in the, liberal, in the Liberal Party. I mean, if you take a look at the Liberal Caucus right now, th there are some non-white MLAs, not a lot of them. No. Uh, I think there may be three in the whole you know, the caucus. N the NDP had that, um, people call it a quota, uh, the, the equity. They had an plan. equity mandate equity in the mandate. NDP. And it was criticized. I was critical of it at the beginning, but you yeah. know what? It worked. It's it's really got a diversified caucus there. Now, well, Renee Merrifield's dismissed it as a photograph. Well, uh, right. That, this is where, like you said earlier, where it really it really angered a lot of people in the, in the NDP when she said they've got token yeah. diversity, and you had a lot of... Um, 
you, you know, di- diverse NDP MLAs and cabinet well, ministers I, I, uh, firing firing back aggressively on that. I don't regard Katrina Chen, uh, the oh, child care right. minister, as a token. I mean, she's yeah. uh, she's you know showed her stuff as a as a minister. So or Anna Kang or. Uh, any number of other people in uh, in that. So Renee Merrifield's really opened a can of worms here. And also now she's got, again, Jazz Joe Hall, a former member of that caucus, with a blistering Twitter thread today, 15 parts, <laughs> I think it was, uh, going after not only her but the B.C. Liberals for on this very issue. He writes, I'm looking at Jazz's Twitter feed right now going after... Uh, Renee Merrifield, Liberal MLA, saying this is an incredibly absurd statement by her. The B.C. Liberals should focus on fixing their own problems before judging any other party. Now, you know, the, the, the Liberals can point to some things, I think, with some pride when it comes to diversity. They had a female, they had a woman leader who was premier for, for many, many years in, in Christy Clark. I think, I'll, I'll, I'll stand to be corrected on this if I'm wrong, but I believe they had the first openly gay MLA in Ted Nebling who was the former mayor of Whistler. I think he was the first openly no, gay MLA. No? no? No, Who was? Uh, I think there was someone other than that. Okay, well, you know, I, I think there, there are some things they can point to. But look, even after the most recent election, right, that the Liberals lost, they hired an outside consultant who did a post-mortem on what went wrong in their campaign. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was in that report, this is right in the Liberal Party's own report, it says the party, I'm quoting it from it now, the party is perceived by many as lacking diversity. Mm-hmm. The B.C. liberals need to recruit, listen to, and elevate yep. British Columbians of every gender, sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity, economic background. The province has changed. So should the liberals. So, I mean, this is a party that hired their own consultant that ripped their own diversity record. And so for Renee Merrifield to go after a party that has a far better track record on that very issue that is damaging her own party is obviously more than raised eyebrows. It's brought an incendiary reaction from her, her political opponents and her former colleagues. Okay, we'll see where we'll see where that one goes. I've asked her to come on the show. We'll see if she can come on to talk about it. Um, let's finish up with uh, our story daily Aaron Ro- Rodgers story. Aaron Rodgers. Okay, your favorite team, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. We all know the story now how he, he lied about yep. his vaccine status, and now he's taking a lot of heat over it. Have a listen to this now. Here is NBA basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar talking about Aaron Rodgers. Have a listen. Rodgers deliberately misled his team and the public with a liable mission. And um, those type of lies really are the type of things that destroy confidence. So as a liar, how can he be trusted to endorse, to endorse products? Worse, he's damaged the uh, image of professional athletes as role models and potentially hurt their financial opportunities as spokesperson. Okay, well, he has lost. Aaron Rodgers has lost, has lost at least one sponsor. But small, a lot small. of them seem to be sticking with him, though. For now, we'll see yeah. if State Farm, this biggest sponsor, is going to stick with him in the long term. Yeah. Uh, you've now got two Hall of Famers, Terry Bradshaw yeah. and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Putting the word liar next to Aaron Rodgers' name, and there's going to be more who are going Howard to Howard Stern that. ripped him yesterday. Howard Stern, the the talk show host, also calls him a liar. So yeah. Aaron Rodgers is in a, a real cycle of bad publicity right now. I'm not sure how he he's is. going to get out of it. All right, welcome back. It's Baldry's beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Phone lines are open six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number. Star ninety eight ninety eight. Toll free in your cell. Jackie calling from Kelowna. Hi. Hi there. Hi there. Um. I'm very ashamed that Renee Merrifield is representing us in Victoria because she's just over the top 
and she wants publicity, and and she wants to be the next premier of our province. Well, that'll be sad, very sad, because you don't you don't um, throw stones when you live in a glass house. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, you know, I, I I think a diversity running on a diversity issue is not a bad issue for her. I think she's the only woman in running for the Liberal Party leadership, and so to talk about. You know, we yep. need more diversity in the party, I think, is actually a good thing. I think maybe, you know, going after the NDP and saying that well, the they're gla- not diverse. It is the glass house analogy. Yeah. Um, you're not, you know, you're going after a party that is miles ahead of your own party when it comes to this issue. But you're right. I mean, like I say, I've talked to Kevin Falcon about this, who was the perceived front runner, that he agrees, as, as that report you just quoted uh, right. pointed out. Yeah. It is an issue that the liberals have to tackle here. So Renee Merrifield's trying to tackle it. I just think she went about it perhaps uh, a, in a way that has enraged her opponents. Okay, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Sean in Logan Lake. Hey, Sean. Hey, uh, I just wanted to, I heard the numbers on your news broadcast uh, of all these people dying of drug overdoses, and this being the worst year, but it's been increasing for years and years. Mm-hmm. Can we not finally say what we're doing about it isn't working yeah so yep uh and the bc government's done that they've they've requested uh an exemption from health canada for the controlled substances act to allow the decriminal the personal possession small and small amounts of these right now illicit drugs um to so we're talking like the hardest drugs we're saying like you know heroin uh, possession of heroin should be legal it's small personal possession not Uh, not you know stacks of it to you can you can traffic with small personal possession amounts they haven't heard back from health canada uh we had a news conference uh here last week with uh, chief coroner lisa lapointe uh federal senator larry campbell the former coroner who says he thinks and he's you know that's, that's his caucus he thinks that uh, there's a good chance health canada will grant this exemption there is an acknowledgement that yes what we're doing right now is not working and there's been a lot of people been saying that for a long time yeah, and for people who are saying, well, how would that make a difference? Well, I guess the argument's a harm reduction effort. So, mm-hmm. you know, right now a lot of people are dying from a very dangerous and poisoned drug supply that's on the street, which is lar- largely fentanyl, and that's what this is what's killing people. So, you know, there's a there's this safe supply argument that people make. If people are going to do drugs anyway, no one's died at a safe injection site. Right, and some people have been brought to life at a safe injection site, and, and people have been steered into into recovery. But you know, the other thing though, I, I think it's a I often think that sometimes it's, the easy thing is to say, well, let's let's have a safe supply, you know, let's do that and see if that works. The harder thing, I think, and way more expensive, is our recovery beds, of mm-hmm. which there are a shortage. Yeah. So treatment. So for people to get people off drugs, to get them into treatment, to get them into recovery, it, you know, it's not everyone is going to be able to to kick the kick a, an addiction. No. But some people can, and there are people there. I think there'd be, you know, we could have, we could do a better job in giving people the option and the services. Well, but it's expensive. At the news conference uh, last week or the week before, we did have a recovered addict was there uh, telling his own story and again advocating for decriminalization of, of small amounts of personal drug possession. Okay, let me ask you really quickly about the Canada-U.S. land border, and we talked about this earlier on the show today, and a lot of people still complaining 
about that oh, yeah. PCR test, the requirement when you're returning to Canada, whether you're Canadian American coming back into Canada, you got to show that negative COVID test can be expensive. Unless some callers said you could, it is possible to find one for free in the United States in some cases, but a lot of people paying hundreds of dollars in some cases. Will the federal government, do you think, in the next short term, uh, relax that rule, drop it? I do. I think uh, when I heard Dr. Teresa Tam, the chief uh, public health officer, saying it's under review, that to me is a signal that it's, it's probably going to be phased out. 